0: this episode is brought to you by horror quickies if you like horror anthology books this
1: is for you over 80 tales of terror told in a true story style that will curdle your blood and send shivers down your spine Horror Quickies: The complete series
0: is only $2.99 on Amazon, or free if you have Kindle Unlimited. Go to Amazon.com and search for Horror Quickies, or just go to ManiacOnTheLoose.com/books. <laughs> If you like scary stories, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories Podcast. (laughs) I am your host, just your friendly neighborhood, Maniac on the Loose.
1: Visit ManiacOnTheLoose.com, sign up for our newsletter and I'll give you some free stuff. And now, sit back and relax.
0: Keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle at all times, and enjoy the ride.
1: Zombie Apocalypse. The zombie apocalypse began this morning. My husband Tom and I were eating breakfast when the news broke. The news reporter on television didn't refer to it as a zombie apocalypse, but clearly that's what it was. The origin was identified immediately. A liquid-based virus had somehow gotten into the water supply. Those who drank the water and became infected would turn immediately. The contagion rate was off the charts. Apparently, over 98% of people who drank the tainted water turned. Tom and I both drank water with breakfast, but apparently we were part of the lucky 2%. Tom was concerned that maybe the virus would take hold later in the day, but the newsman on TV was adamant that the infection and the change were immediate. Water was cut off to everyone, but apparently that was a case of too little, too late. The highly infectious nature of this virus makes it impossible to contain. Those who are infected become paranoid and violent. They savagely attack others on sight, usually biting and clawing with malice. These monsters are ferocious. Unlike the zombies from movies and TV shows, they aren't slow, lumbering, brain-dead creatures. The real zombies retain their knowledge, and they can run and operate vehicles. The newsman even reported one zombie using a gun to shoot down his neighbors. The virus is spread through liquid being passed from one person to another. That means if someone comes in contact with any liquid from an infected person's body, they will be turned. Apparently blood, saliva, urine, semen, whatever the liquid is, will absorb into people's skin. So it isn't an open wound situation. This is a matter of infected liquid simply touching you. And from what the reporter said, the zombies are actively attempting to infect others. Some zombies were reported spitting and urinating on others with the intention of turning them. The images that we saw on TV before the broadcast was cut off were catastrophic. Cities were on fire, hordes of zombies were running through the street attacking anything that moved. The broadcast was cut off before they made any suggestions as to what we could do to protect ourselves, but from what we heard, it's unlikely that they could have given us any prudent advice. We live in a rural area on a farm. Our nearest neighbor is about half a mile down the road. Our house is on top of a hill and has a long driveway. We have a motion detector at the end of the driveway to alert us when someone is coming up to the house. When the alarm started sounding, I looked out the window and could see a fleet of vehicles coming up the drive. I stared out the window until they got close enough for me to see them well. It was them. It was the zombies. I could see the savage look on their faces. They were probably going door to door to kill everyone or infect them. Our only chance was to hide. We could have hidden in the house, but surely they would check every nook and cranny and eventually find us. But we have a barn. Perhaps they wouldn't think to check in there. Maybe when they saw the house was empty, they would assume that we weren't home and would go away. I felt like that was our only chance. We had to get to the barn without being seen. We snuck out the back door just as we heard them pounding on the front door. The barn was approximately 200 feet from the house. We bolted out the back door and darted toward the barn. Tom is faster than me and made it inside the barn slightly before I did. Just before entering the barn, I turned to see if we made it without being seen. A zombie was standing on our back porch. It was staring at me. I rushed into the barn and frantically explained to Tom that I had been spotted. We had to seal up the barn the best we could and try to keep them out. There are two doors to the barn. They are sliding metal doors that have wooden brace locks. It wouldn't be easy for them to get in. There was also a loft that we could climb up to if they penetrated the doors. I looked out a crack between the wood planks of the barn walls to see if they were coming. There they were, an army of zombies. At least ten cars had surrounded our barn. The zombies were standing by the vehicles as if ready to charge. They were screaming out in fury. It was as if they were trying to speak to us, but their words had transformed into guttural growls. There was no escape. We had no chance. There were just too many of them. That's when I got an idea. Why should we wait here for them to attack us? Why don't we turn the tables on them? Why don't we take the initiative and attack first? How dare these zombies come to our home and assault us? I wanted to run out of that barn and tear them apart. I wanted to bite them, scratch them, spit in their faces and piss all over them. I looked over at Tom. I didn't even have to say anything to him. I could tell he was thinking the same thing I was. I took in a deep breath, opened the door to the barn, and we charged. Zombie Apocalypse
0: Outside the Barn My name is Austin Baker. I'm the sheriff of a very small town in northern Tennessee. The virus broke out a few hours ago. It was in the water, everywhere. My understanding is that it originated in Florida and has already worked its way up to Tennessee and beyond. That's how contagious this is. I don't consider myself a law enforcement officer. I'm a peace officer. Honestly, I don't see how this virus can be stopped or even contained, but it's my duty to protect the citizens of my little town. And that's what I'll do until my dying breath. I rounded up my deputies, and our mission was to go door to door to check on the townfolk. We'd advise the ones who were not infected to barricade themselves in their houses or join us. As for those who were infected, well, they'd have to be eliminated. The infected were easy to spot. Their faces were splotched with sores. Their teeth were stained dark yellow and their fingernails had turned black. It was spreading faster than I could imagine. We quickly realized that there was a better than 50-50 chance that any house whose door we knocked on would contain the infected. At one of the houses, an infected person spit on one of my deputies. He changed immediately. We eliminated him before he had a chance to spread the virus to anyone else. When we arrived at Tom and Tina's farmhouse, I had my fingers crossed. Tina was a good friend of my wife. I had hoped we had gotten there in time. When we knocked on the door, I could hear them running through the house. We busted the front door in, and I hurried out the back door. I saw Tina pausing to look at me before she rushed into the barn. We surrounded the barn with our vehicles, and my deputies and the town folk who chose to help us all prepared themselves. I got on the bullhorn and pleaded with Tom and Tina to come out. I told them that if they were not infected, they had nothing to worry about. It was only a few minutes later when they exited the barn and charged us. Both of them were covered in sores and their fingernails were black. They were gnashing their hideous yellow teeth when we shot them down. From here we'll move on to the next house, and the next. We'll do what we can while we can, but if I'm honest, I expect this will be the last day of all of our lives. Spying on my neighbors. I'm a 40-year-old male. I live on Main Street in the historic district of a large town. Most of the buildings on Main Street have a business on the ground floor and apartments above them. Most are loft apartments with large open spaces that consist of an entire floor. Some of the taller buildings have three loft apartments. The smaller one's just one. The apartment I live in is considered an executive loft, meaning my apartment consists of two floors. It's quite nice. From the front window of my apartment, I can see out over Main Street. I also have a world-class view of the apartments across the street. The building across the street is a shoe store on the ground floor. The second and third floors are two separate loft apartments. Let me make it clear that I am not some kind of peeping Tom or voyeur that gets sexual gratification from spying on others. But I am curious by nature and a bit nosy, so when my neighbors across the street leave their curtains open, I tend to observe, sometimes for hours on end. The second floor is occupied by a man. He's kind of pudgy with a scruffy appearance. I'd guess him to be in his late 30s. He has thinning hair and usually wears a crumpled white t-shirt when he's lounging in his loft. He never has any visitors and doesn't seem to have much of a social life. Most of his time is spent on his computer. His computer monitor is positioned in a way where I can actually see what is on his monitor if I use binoculars. He is usually playing some kind of computer game or chatting with somebody. I've also seen him looking at porn on more than one occasion. The third floor above him was empty for the past few months, but recently a young woman in her 20s has moved in. She's a looker with a nice body and long blonde hair. She uses her phone a lot, both for talking and texting. Her preferred lounging apparel is a t-shirt and short shorts. She spends most of her nights cuddled up on her couch watching TV. The building next to theirs is an Italian restaurant. From what I've observed, she's a waitress at that restaurant, which is pretty nice for her as far as proximity to her living quarters goes. I refer to the woman on the third floor as Blondie, and the man on the second floor as Pudge. I have fallen into a routine of checking on both apartments when I get home from work. I'm usually home by 6. Pudge gets home before I do. Blondie usually is gone in the evenings until about 10 p.m. I started noticing that when Blondie got home, Pudge would look up at his ceiling, apparently able to hear her walking around above him. He appeared curious about his new neighbor. The next day when I got home, neither of my neighbors across the street were home. I looked down at the Italian restaurant and could occasionally see Blondie passing by the window of the restaurant as she waited tables. Then I noticed Pudge. He was standing outside the Italian restaurant smoking a cigarette and staring in through the front window of the establishment. It seemed as though he was watching Blondie. After about 30 minutes, one of the employees came out and talked to Pudge. I assumed they were inquiring about why he was creeping around outside and peeping through the window. After their brief chat, Pudge left and went back to his apartment. The next day, I got home and both apartments were empty again. I looked down at the Italian restaurant after a few minutes, I saw Blondie pass by the window. When she was at work, she kept her beautiful blonde hair tied in a messy bun. When she was in her apartment, she let it flow. As I looked up from the Italian restaurant, I noticed that the door to the third floor apartment was opening slowly. Once fully ajar, I observed Pudge stealthily entering the apartment. Blondie had either left the door unlocked or Pudge picked the lock. Either way, he was now in her apartment and was snooping around. I noticed he was holding a small handbag of some sort. He set it down and started opening cabinets and going through drawers. He even opened her refrigerator and looked inside. After several moments of snooping, he opened up his bag and took out some small items. Even with binoculars, I couldn't tell what the items were, but he was sneakily placing them around her apartment. He then entered rooms toward the back of the loft, which I assumed to be her bedroom and bathroom. When he emerged from those rooms, he grabbed his bag and left. He didn't go back to his own apartment immediately. It had been a long day at work for me, and as I observed the apartments across the street, I dozed off on the couch. When I woke up, it was morning, and I was running late. I threw on a fresh set of clothes and rushed to work. It was Friday, and my boss took several of us out for dinner after work. After finishing dinner, we hung around at the bar and had several drinks. By the time I got home, it was well after 10 p.m. I went to my window and checked on my neighbors. Blondie's apartment lights were on, but I didn't see her. Pudge was sitting at his computer. He seemed to be fidgety and was moving around a lot. Curious as to what he was viewing, I looked through my binoculars and focused on his computer screen. He appeared to be watching some kind of security camera screen. On the left side of the screen were thumbnail images of certain rooms. As he clicked on a thumbnail, it would enlarge and take up the majority of his screen. The main image he was watching was in a bathroom. The camera was focused on a woman taking a shower. At first, I figured he was just watching porn. Then I recognized the girl in the shower. It was Blondie. She stepped out of the shower, dried herself off, and walked off screen. Pudge then clicked on another thumbnail image. Blondie's bedroom was now on screen. She moved into view and started getting dressed. I was repulsed when I realized that Pudge was pleasuring himself as he watched Blondie get dressed. After getting fully dressed in her casual wear, she walked to the living room, laid down on the couch, and closed her eyes. At the same time, Pudge clicked a thumbnail that enlarged the living room and continued watching her obviously those were cameras that he had placed around her apartment yesterday i felt the need to let blondie know what was going on one could only gain access to the apartments in that building through an entry door by the side of the shoe shop that door could only be opened with a key so just going up to her apartment and knocking on the door was not an option i could go to the italian restaurant and let them know what was going on They would have her phone number and could call her, but it was late and the restaurant was closed. I started pacing as I considered all my options. After several minutes, I went back to my window and looked out through my binoculars. I noticed Pudge was no longer in his apartment. I scanned up to Blondie's apartment. She was still on the couch, but had awakened from her short slumber. She was gazing about the room and then looked out her window. Her eyes locked onto me. She spotted me watching her through my binoculars. I could tell by her expression that she was appalled. She rushed to her window and grabbed hold of her curtain. As she did this, I could see her apartment door slowly opening up behind her. I started waving and, and pointing to get her attention, but then she pulled her curtain shut. I wasn't sure what to do. The door was opening up behind her. Who was that? Was it Pudge? My instinct was to call the police, but she had just busted me spying on her. If everything was fine, I might get arrested for being a peeping Tom. So I opted to wait and see. Her curtain remained shut for the rest of the night. About two hours later, Pudge returned home and went to bed. The next morning, Blondie's curtain was still shut. It was Saturday, a busy day for restaurants, so she would most likely be working that night. My plan was to wait until nighttime, go to the restaurant, and tell her everything. All day, Blondie's curtain remained closed. At about 7 p.m., I went to the restaurant and asked to speak to the manager. I described Blondie to him and asked him if she was there. I was alarmed when he told me that she didn't show up to work that night and was not answering her phone. At that point, I called the police and told them what I knew. I watched from my apartment as they opened up Blondie's curtain and searched her loft. I continued watching as they went to Pudge's apartment. Pudge appeared to be cooperative. I'm not sure what the police were saying, but they pointed at the apartment above them several times as they spoke. Then they pointed out the window toward my apartment. I guess they were mentioning to Pudge what I saw. Pudge turned and looked out the window. He spotted me before I could scurry out of view. The police were in both apartments for quite a while searching. When they left... All was quiet, and Pudge went back to his normal routine, while Blondie's apartment remained dark. I asked the police what happened. They informed me that Pudge denied everything. They said they did a thorough search and found nothing incriminating. And that was that. Reports started circulating of Blondie's disappearance. Turns out her name was Meredith Gustafson. They never found her. From then on, when I returned home from work and looked out the window, Pudge would be standing at his window staring at me with a blank expression. Sometimes he'd wave, but it wasn't a friendly wave. It was a wave of arrogance. He was aware of what I knew and that there was nothing I could do about it. I moved shortly thereafter.
1: 1950s house. My boyfriend Ronald, who was just a little older than me, was a carpenter. He flipped houses for a living. In case you don't know, that means he would buy a house that needed some work, fix it up, and then sell it for a profit. The thing that separated my boyfriend from most house flippers was that he would live in the house he was working on. He'd buy a rundown house and move in, then he'd live there while he was working on it. He said he got bored with houses he lived in quickly, so that was his way of keeping things fresh. Plus, he could get the work done faster since he was there all the time. We had been dating for over two years, so I had gotten to see a variety of different houses during that time. It was sort of exciting things started to change when he bought a house that he referred to as the Gregory House. Apparently the house had only one owner previous to him, and that was their last name. The house was nothing special. It was an average-looking ranch-style home. It was built in the 1950s, which was only 30 years ago, so that was nothing out of the ordinary. What made this house different was that it was still fully furnished and decorated, as though it was still the 1950s. The kitchen had cream-colored walls and a pink Formica counter. There was a top-loading dishwasher. The floor was bright with zigzag patterns. The kitchen chairs were vinyl, and the kitchen table had chrome legs. The bathroom was tiled in mint green, the floor was black and white checked, and the front section of the sink was supported on two thin, metal legs. The living room had a Scandinavian color scheme with various shades of brown and gray. It made for a muted feel. It was decorated with laminated plywood furniture, and in the corner of the living room was a stand-up radio. The radio was probably from the 1940s, but it fit in just fine with the décor. It was a striking, polished birchwood radio that looked brand new. It had round dials and plastic buttons. Definitely the most eye-catching piece in the house. The house didn't need much aesthetic work. From what Ronald said, the main issues with the house were electrical and plumbing. Once Ronald moved in, I noticed that things gradually started to change. Ronald was the kind of guy who liked to go out to dinner in a movie most nights. He was never one that liked to be cooped up in the houses he was working on. When he was done working for the day, he wanted to get out of there for a little while. The first week he was there, things were mostly normal. We went out a few times during the early portion of the week once it got closer to the weekend he kept saying he wasn't feeling too good he complained that he was tired and wanted to stay in i didn't think much of it everyone is entitled to feel under the weather from time to time the second week he was there we only went out once ronald always had a mop of hair that he didn't do much more than run his fingers through in the mornings and that was good enough It was unusual when he started greasing his hair and slicking it back. Don't get me wrong, it looked good, but it just wasn't him. Due to the type of work he did, Ronald often dressed casual, but most of the shirts he wore were loud, like rock concert t-shirts, and funny shirts like the kind that said, I'm with Stupid, and had an arrow pointing to the side. Now, he was wearing plain t-shirts and dungaree jeans that were rolled up at the ankle. Sometimes he'd be wearing a leather bomber's jacket or a Harrington windcheater. I asked him where he got all the new clothes, and he said they were in one of the closets. When I'd question him about why he was wearing them, he'd be short with me and just state that he liked them. As time went on, he'd go out with me less and less. He wouldn't make a big thing about it, he'd just say he was busy. It got to the point where he just never wanted to leave the house. And every time I went over there, he had that old radio on. It was lit up, bright and loud. I'd have to raise my voice to be heard over it. And it was always playing 1950s music. Elvis, Sinatra, Dean Martin, Chuck Berry, Bobby Darin, you name it, if it was popular in the 50s, it was playing on that radio. Back in the 1980s, we didn't have the music options we have today. You couldn't just play music from the 1950s at will. You were stuck with whatever the radio stations played, and most stations played modern music. There was an oldie station in our area, but that played a lot of commercials. This radio was not playing commercials. I never heard one commercial any time I was over there. It just went from song to song to song. Over the next couple of weeks, he grew more and more distant. He used to call me every night before he went to bed. Even if the conversation were short, he liked to say goodnight. The routine gradually trailed off until he stopped calling me altogether. I asked him repeatedly what was wrong and what was going on. He'd just stare off and mumble that he had a lot going on or some nonsense like that. It reached the point to where if something didn't change, our relationship was going to be over. I went to the 1950s house to give him an ultimatum. As I walked up to the house... I could hear that 1950s music blaring. When I walked by the front window, I could see Ronald inside the house. He was dancing. Ronald never danced. Ever. He hated dancing. He would never take me dancing. He didn't want anything to do with dancing. But here he was, dancing his heart out. But that wasn't all. He was dancing with another girl. The girl had her hair tied back in a ponytail. She was wearing a light green poodle skirt with a belt and a white shirt. She had a chiffon scarf tied around her neck. She looked like she'd just walked off the set of grease. I was fuming. I stomped up to the front door and pounded on it when ronald opened the door i shoved him aside and rushed inside to confront him and his new girl but the girl wasn't there i stomped through the house looking for her demanding to know where she was and what was going on i couldn't find her anywhere and ronald wasn't answering me he just stared at me blankly there was something off about his eyes it was as if they weren't his It was like someone else was looking at me. I started yelling at him and complaining about all the changes he had made. Then I turned to the radio. It was booming as loud as ever. I was sick and tired of having to raise my voice to be heard over it, so I rushed to it and grabbed the cord to unplug it from the wall. I froze in shock as I held the cord in my hand and realized That the radio was already unplugged. I looked closer to make sure I wasn't seeing things. I even shoved the radio away from the wall. The radio was not plugged in. It had never been plugged in. It was playing on its own. I looked up at Ronald. my mouth was agape. He just stood there emotionless and continued to stare at me blankly. It was as though it wasn't him anymore. I hurried past him out the door and drove home as fast as I could. Later that night, when I was home, my phone rang. I picked it up. On the other end, all I heard was 1950s music. This lasted for about 20 seconds and then the phone went dead. I never saw or heard from Ronald again.
0: We hope you enjoyed the show. We're dying for you to come back for more.
1: <laughs> Please subscribe to the show on whatever platform you listen on. We'll see you soon. Very
0: soon.